Welcome to the show. On today's episode, we have Holly Hughes. She's an intuitive healer and author of Real Not Perfect, How to Become Your Happy Authentic Self. In this episode, we'll talk about breaking free from limiting definitions and how to prioritize yourself. Welcome to the Kaka TV Podcast, your source for all things health, happiness, and beauty. Hi, Holly. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you became an intuitive healer? Sure. I have always had intuitive gifts. I just didn't know that everyone else didn't have them because they were my normal. So for most of my life, um, I honestly kind of used it a bit to guide me. I was young and didn't listen to a lot of it sometimes. Um, And then I got to a place in my life where I was like, I think I'm going to see if I can control these things instead of it being a party trick or my husband would just call me his witch. um, I knew that people would react to me. Either you like me or you just you just don't like, you know, it's one or the other. I'm not a gray kind of person or personality. And I was like, well, I wonder if I can control what I hear when I hear it, how I hear it. And then I just really got down to the business of learning how to explore my gifts. Um, I always thought, oh, you know, that's going to be something I do later in life, like, you know, in later 60s, like, you know, later, because I started in film and television production, and then I got into a a writing career, and I was like, how do you do both? Um, And then all my guides and the world said, oh, no, you're going to do both. You never do one thing at a time anyway. So I said, I think I'll think about opening an intuitive healing office. And literally the next morning, a friend was like, do you know someone looking for office space? My friend wants to share an office. And I just started. Awesome. So could you tell us a little bit about what intuitive gifts you have? Sure. I seem to have all of the Claire. So I'm Claire audience, Claire cognizant, Claire sentient. And I think it's Claire Gustian. I can see, hear, and taste things. I get messages in my body. I see images in my mind. I will know things I can't possibly know. I'm an empath. So it goes one step further. Not only um, can I feel people's feelings, sometimes it's even hard to discern if it's mine or not. It just like overwhelms my body and my emotions. And I have the gift I can see dead people, although it's not my favorite gift. I wouldn't imagine it would be. It's just not. Um, I, I like to say, like, I love going to Charleston. I did a writer's retreat there with um, New York Times bestselling author Nova Rensuma. And we did a ghost haunts and haints workshop. And the fun thing for me was I told everyone what I was seeing in town all around us. And then um, we would use it as prompts. And I described some people. And then I found a photo of the people that I saw. And while we were on a ghost tour, I, one I had never taken before. So like I wasn't cheating. I didn't plan ahead. Um, and we walked by a grave and I was like, I see a woman with a baby. I see this, I see that. And I told everyone what I saw. 
And then the the leader of the ghost tour was like, so it's known that people see a weeping woman with her child here. And I was like, yeah, she's there. She's not crying. And we walked by this house. I'm like, there's someone on the roof. And I guess someone had jumped from that roof. So it's like, it's it can be super fun. I've seen pirates in Charleston, which is really bizarre. Um, there's a lot of like stray dogs, dead stray dogs in Charleston. So, um, and then for me, the really hardest part, of course, is all the slaves that are there. Like all that, that energy is the tricky part. I remember when I went to Savannah, Georgia, that place is scary. There's a lot of bad feelings over there. Which is why I haven't gone. Everyone's like, why haven't you gone to Savannah? I'm like, I don't know if I can handle that place. So it gives, when I see um, there's that much energy of death and disease and, you know, um, torture, really, because slavery was torture, it is exceedingly draining on me i get i have like a migraine the whole time and my body just feels like gravity is sucking it into the earth so that's why it's not my favorite gift it's not pleasant on any any level but when i channel and do healing work it's all love like i connect to the divine and it's love and light so it's much more pleasant experience so what does an intuitive healer do So um, I know you've asked this of other people, and I think everyone is a little different. For me, I think my gifts lie with clients who know something is wrong, but they can't name it. They know they're in a transition in their life, um, but they're stuck. Um, And they will come see me, and it's slightly therapy, but you don't have to go into your whole past because I will just feel it and know it. So for me, it's guiding a person past a pain point, a trauma, something they can't let go, a behavior. Um, I really believe um, also in, I help people move past a definition of themselves that no longer works. And then I will use my gifts of connecting to the person's highest self, um, masters, guides, whoever shows up, and then help them emotionally and mentally and physically move past it and then the healing part comes in um, I move energy I can fix holes in auras I can help create energetic boundaries Um, I can connect a person to a healing source on the planet or somewhere else if it works for them so I kind of say it's similar for me to Reiki except on a much higher vibration which isn't putting Reiki down at all it's not that's not what I'm saying it's just I operate on a different level than that So what are some reasons um, past clients have come to see you? Sure. Um, They are um, entering the workforce and they don't know which way to go because they're torn between what they think they should do and what they want to do. They have lost themselves in motherhood. They've lost themselves in relationships, um, getting over being cheated on, recovering from being in a relationship with a narcissist, divorce career changes, um, being utterly confused as to why their life isn't working, healing family relationships and dynamics, trying to get over being a people pleaser, and how to create and maintain boundaries. Could you give us an example by walking us through what a session would be like with you? Sure. So if you were my client and you walked in or even we did a phone call, because I I do that, I do a lot of distance work right now. Um, It's just that you will, I will tune into you. 
I won't read you now because that's not what this is about, but I would tune into what was going on and my body and my mind would immediately start to flood with information. So I have to find out where the client thinks they are versus what I know and feel. And so it'll be a little bit of a conversation. How are you doing? Why are you here? You know, what's bothering you? If I get a really um, intense intuitive hit, I'll just ask a direct question. Like, why do I have such pain in my shoulder? Why is my neck? Why are you clenched? Why aren't you breathing? I see that you're exceedingly angry. So let's like just focus on healing the anger and anger really is a symptom of some wound. And then it depends on the person. Sometimes they really want to, to control the situation. So I can't get them out of their head, but honestly the best way to heal is to get the person into their body and I being able to identify the feeling. So I will help them go there and like pull it out and make it safe for them to be vulnerable some people walk in my office and they just start crying because they just feel safe and a place to just relax. So that's, that's like a very first note thing. I always say I'm the best version of me in the office. Um, so you get all my kindness and love and support. And then after we talk about a few things, we'll move to a table. I have like a massage table. You have all your clothes on. And then I will guide the person through a meditation that I'm hearing from their guides just for them. I'll clear out old energy. I'll cut cords that don't work for them, you know, connecting to people. If a person's not ready to cut a cord, I won't do it. It's really self-guided that way. I don't have an agenda for someone else's healing. It really has to be about what they want, and I can do my best to get them there. And after I do the meditation, I'll walk around them and literally like move energy. I have had clients um, who I would see pictures of on social media. This one is really intense. I feel like I should tell you guys. It's not typical, but I knew the minute she got home, she had to go to the doctor because she had breast cancer. And I could see it in her body before she knew she had it. Although I'm not a medical intuitive, if I really tune into you, I'll know what's going on in your body. And then I'll just try to align your chakras, get your energy moving in a healthy way, and honestly create a boundary um, between you and the world. Like I love to put a, like the boundary. It's always gold, and it's always God in it. And I always say that's the safe space for your soul on this planet to figure out, feel, and know who you are and what you want without the noise of everyone else coming in. And I don't think that's a gift that people often give themselves nowadays. Have you found any common root causes that you found in most of your clients? A hundred percent. It is almost always a pain from a childhood. So there's some unresolved hurt. It doesn't have to be traumatic. It doesn't have to be, you know, the worst situation ever. Sometimes it's as simple as, you know, not being loved the way you needed to be loved, even if your parent did their best. Right. Like, you know, there could be a moment where, you know, you needed a specific thing, like you needed an acknowledgement, support, love and kindness. And maybe it was a horrible work day for your parents. And, you know, they are barely getting dinner on the table and they just didn't have the, the time to give you what you needed. But that can take root. And then in in our minds, in our bodies and our spirit we're like we're less than we're not good enough they they didn't have time for me they don't love me they never understood me and we create the story and that and that is 
influencing a life. And, and it becomes what you know, even though what you know isn't working for you. And that's what I shift and change. So I have a daughter and I admit when I first had her, I was like, oh, this kid is going to have it so easy because her parents are perfect. (laughs) She's never going to have any trauma. She's never going to have any pain. It's going to be great for her. Like she's so lucky. But then I found like children will get um, emotional or like have responses to think the silliest things, but it's a big deal to them. But in reality, it's in the grand scheme of thing, it's it's not a big deal, but it's I think it has to do with how people interpret things more than what's yeah. actually. One hundred percent, exactly. Like sometimes it's a big deal, right? Like sometimes there's a horrible thing that happened to a person, or you know, serious trauma. But sometimes it's just that little thing. Like I I always say, like I have a daughter, and my joke is she's going to end up in therapy because I, I I just don't do the family dinner thing really well. Even during lockdown, by the end of the day, like, why is that my question? Why is what's for dinner? Why do people direct it towards me? I married my husband because he was, he loved to cook. (laughs) Like, why aren't you cooking anymore? What happened? So I was like, I know they always say a family meal is the most important, but you know, I honestly, I fail at that one. I can admit my shortcoming, how that will affect her life. I'm not quite sure, but I'm pretty sure it will. (laughs) So what can I do? Oh no, same. We do not eat at the dinner table. We all eat three different meals. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not like catering to everyone's needs. Like I'll make every, when I do make dinner, I'm all glad, but we're also not hungry at the same time. So like, I just like, you know, I'm not a, like, you must do it like this rules kind of person. I, I'm not like that at all in general. Like I want to give you good food, but like by Sunday night, it's probably leftovers of leftovers and whatever you want to eat, just slap it together. I'm okay with it. <laughs> So what ways do people define themselves and how do these labels confine us? Mm, That's a great question. People tend to define themselves by the, I have basic categories, what their family thinks they should have been or should be, or what, however they fit in the family dynamic. Like for me growing up, I was, I felt like I was the bridge. I was the person who helped communicate between everyone. And I took on the responsibility for people's happiness. That was like my inherent brain, whatever. And that's been a really lifelong journey to undo that. Right. Cause it's just not true. Um, people are defined by social media. I mean, there's a bajillion filters. I really do my best to not filter most of my photos on social media um, because I think what we forgot what real people look like and then we hold ourselves up to this standard. I have a personal thing about people who claim to be coaches and healers who can't do a video without auto-tune on their face. Like, what are you hiding? <laughs> like, show me who you are. But, you know, vanity does come in there and some days I'm like, okay, that's just... That's just too much gray hair. We'll just like blur that out a little bit. Um, so there's those definitions. There's what I, I should be. There's like this idea of, you know, like the people 30 under 30. I, by 30, I should know X, Y, and Z, and I should be really successful. Um, when I was younger, I had that belief too. I was going to know who was going to marry by the time I was 24. I was going to be married by the time. I was 26, first kid at 28, second kid at 30, third kid at 32. I was going to have a five-year career plan, blah, blah, blah. Well, that all blew up. But, you know, I had it and I was going towards it and going towards it just burned me out and exhausted me and is making me feel less than because I couldn't achieve this insane timeline or goal that I had. 
So I think those are the ways that people try to define themselves a lot by outside influences, because I think that's by our culture. We must be successful and success looks like this. Um, But it's just really not true for most people. And it's the hardest thing to let go of. I did see this quote online. I don't know if it's by the person attributed to it, so I won't say their name. But it basically said people ask you um, if you have a house, if you're married, um, if you Mm -hmm. have kids, but they never ask you if you're happy. Yes. You know, that's my big quote, that happiness is an option. That's like all over everything I do. Um, but it might mean that you have to let go of things that aren't working for you. And that requires bravery, right? You know, marching to your own band is not always an easy thing to do. I mean, I know because I do it my whole life, right? So sometimes it's super fun and awesome. And other times it's lonely. Sometimes it's sad. Sometimes it pisses you off. I don't know. It's all of it. But, you know, success and this, you know, old American dream that was, created and manifested like hundreds of years ago, which wasn't for everybody, right? It was only for really like a a few people. It was like geared towards certain people. It's almost like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Like how real is that? I don't know. (laughs) So how would you define energy? I think energy is a piece of the divine in everything. Well, I think there's good, right, so that was the good energy. Bad energy, I think there's just, like, negativity, but it's part of the fabric of the, like, right, the universe of it. I don't deal personally in dark energy, and when people start talking about shadow work, I think there are very few and rare people who know how to work with it, deal with it, close it off, and shut the door. So, um When I think of like energy, I just kind of think of nature, people, like all of that. Mm -hmm. I wish you could see how I'm talking with my hands, that big circle I just did, but like all of that. Do you believe in things like the evil eye? Because I'm half um, Cuban and half Mm -hmm. Persian and they both cultures independently have the evil eye tradition and different rituals to get rid of the evil eye. Yeah, you know, I love, I've been doing research, um, actually, for my writing about different um, myths on death, and how all over the planet, we have it, we have different names for it, but in that some of the similarities are, you, you can't, like, disprove it, like, they use different words to describe it, but they're describing the same thing. So I love things like the evil eye, like with Kabbalah, they have this, this like red string on their wrist too. Right. And it's about, it's called for negativity. Right. It's, but they say it for evil eye for to like what people are throwing at you. Right. To kind of protect you from that. But also the meaning is make sure that you're not the one doing it. So I do think there are dark things. Like I really never wish anyone, um, harm. I mean, when I'm really angry, I suppose I really wish I could throw something their way that I believe exists, but I would never do it because I really believe it would come back tenfold. So, um, I think there are darker energies and forces out there that play upon people. And one of them is fear. And I think that's, what's covering the planet right now. So every time someone comes over to my house and I can sense a little bit of jealousy mm. or things like too much sarcasm or negative talk, I personally will go 
and light some candles and imagine it like kind of protecting myself and my family. Do you feel a habit like that would be beneficial? And what are some different ways someone might clear away some negative energy they feel? Are you kidding? I do this all the time. I do it all the time. Um, I do it before people come. So if I invite someone that maybe I don't know so well, like let's just say I love Halloween. Let's say I'm having my Halloween party and inviting some new people. I will clear my house before the party. And typically people who won't resonate with the energy don't show up. So I'm really intentional about that. I would never want anyone who's jealous of anything to come into my house that would upset me and make me feel exceedingly uncomfortable. Um, so I am a big believer that I clear my office in between people and everywhere. I spray around my bed every night before I go to sleep. I spray my office where I work daily, if not multiple times a day. So I'm a big believer of that. I think simple ways to clear energy, depending on the environment is you can absolutely light, you know, candles scented or whatever white and but I think you have to set the intention of clear my space um I love zoom mist eucalyptus spray it's a high vibration just spray and I put a piece of selenite within it and I use that um I'm high yoga which means my energy field spins counterclockwise most people spin clockwise so you know, when I spray, I do around doors, windows, and into corners because little creepers always hang out in the corners. You can do that with Palo Santo. You can do that with sage. I always clear myself. Like I spray all around me to make sure I have nothing on me before I do that. I have a, a really quick, easy, like it's like part of my basic meditation that I say before, which is I honor the spirit inside me. I honor the loving spirits around me, both seen and unseen. I remove any energy that is not mine and does not belong to me, and I return it to who it does. If they cannot handle it, I ask that it be held in a safe space until they can. I call back any energy that I have given away, knowingly or unknowingly, and I ask that it be cleansed in God's heavenly light and returned to me. I remove any energy in this room or space that is not for my highest good. And I ask it to leave and you are not welcome back. Mm. And yeah. So how do you find, how do you define energetic boundaries and why are they so important? Mm. This is a long answer, I suppose. Energetic boundaries are, Wow. Such a physical thing for me. So um, it's easier to explain when you don't have a boundary. When you don't have a boundary, you just feel you're very sensitive to everything that's going around. You feel the arguments around you. Um, you feel when someone's at ease. I feel that a common symptom of not having a boundary is you're always trying to please another person because you know they're not happy on some level. Um, and that often means you, you put yourself last, which is terrible, right? You have to you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of anyone else. So for me, an energetic boundary is it's not a wall. It's not an FU. It doesn't mean you don't still love and care for someone. It just means that there is literally um, you can imagine like a line. It could be like a line in the sand or it can be for me. It's always like auric 
um, bubbles. So you can imagine this beautiful orb of color and love around you and you're on one side of it and the other person's on the other. Now your energies can connect, they can intertwine, they can do all that, but it's really good to pull apart and always maintain your own individuality. Let's talk about self-care. How do you define it and what part does it play in becoming a happy, authentic person? Absolutely. So self-care, I think for many people, um, you know, you have to start somewhere, right? So I think a lot of people believe that um, like diet and exercise is self-care, getting a manicure, a facial, you know, getting your hair done, all those things that make you feel a little better. And I think bubble baths, you know, like that's, those are all things that people do. And I think those are great first steps in self-care. For me, when I discuss, when I talk about self-care, it really means doing something that feeds your soul, meaning you are overjoyed and in the moment, a hundred percent while you're doing it. So I think as people get older and have lives and mature and decide whatever they want to create a life for themselves, either in marriage, partnership, children, no children, careers, those things like that American dream, air quotes, right? You have to do X, Y, and Z to succeed. And defining success, they don't ever define success as including self-care, right? Unless your lifestyles are the rich and famous and you have a 500 mansions and you vacation with your own personal chef, right? But that doesn't even mean that you're happy. A lot of those people are exceedingly unhappy. But self-care, like for me, is I've always loved dancing, right? I was a dancer when I was younger and I dance now. I do African dance class. I started taking tap lessons again. And during that time, I have a smile on my face the whole time. I'm not in charge. There's no expectation of how good or bad I'll be at it. It's something I do purely for fun. I never consider even looking at my phone. I'm 100% unplugged and in the moment, and it makes me happy. And then at the end of it, I have so much more energy than I did before the class started, even if I'm tired before class and I'm cranky and maybe I don't even want to do it at the time. I'm always glad I did. Some people go hiking. Some people can serve. Some people are artists and they lose time in creating something. Um, All of those hobbies that so many children or you might have had as a child, soccer, volleyball, I don't know, cycling, you know, it's okay if you get a soccer ball and like tap it between your feet. Maybe that'll make you really happy again. I think trying new things is also really vital in the self-care thing because otherwise you'll be in a rut. And even if you love something, it can get boring, right? So as adults, I think we stop trying new things because we'll embarrass ourselves. We won't be good. People are watching. I'll be judged. And that has the opposite of what self-care is. It's like you're doing it for the love of doing it and trying it. And I think that is really at the heart of self-care. How important is it to learn to say no? And why do women especially have (laughs) this problem? Okay, if I knew why women did especially have this problem, I would I would I would bottle it and sell it to everyone how to fix it. I think inherently um, there many women um, identify with a caregiver. Right. Right. 
that's the thing. So we want to give and share and make you feel better and take away your boo-boos because maybe your mom did that or I don't know. But I find it that it's inherent. Um, but there's definite drawbacks to never saying no. You get used, you get resentful, you're exhausted, you're depleted, you don't actually have the ability to do everything that people ask you. Then you create a pattern of disappointment and then negative self-talk will come in and play in on all of that. So like on my website, I have a free um, 10 steps to say no. Um, and it's just, first of all, you have to practice saying the word. Like, honestly, I think look in the mirror and say no. You can role play with a friend, ask them to ask you something and practice saying no. Sometimes it will make you giggle because it will make you uncomfortable. But when you learn to say no, it is that boundary and you know what's good for you, right? Like maybe someone's always asking for help because they're lazy. Are they asking for your expertise? Yes or no? I don't know. Maybe they're using you so they don't have to do the work. Maybe you're stepping in and that person's never even learning how to do whatever it is that they need to learn. And so you're robbing them of an opportunity of growth. There's so many ways to like look at it that way. But I think um, once you get the hang of saying no, it's life changing. Like I used to be so bad at this. My, I have this story that I like to tell about a cup of coffee. I was, I was working on a movie set and someone brought me like a fancy cup of coffee, which is a very nice gesture, but I didn't like the coffee. And I was wracked with guilt for not being appreciative. And, you know, how do I say no to this? And, oh, my God, nine months of this thought spinning in my head because I was so afraid to hurt someone's feelings. I was so afraid to like, be seen as a bad person. And finally, I had the courage. I was like, hey, do you remember that like cup of coffee? And they're like, yeah, I'm like, well, you know, you know, I don't like that kind of coffee. So like, you know, you don't have to do that. So I'm like, no, thank you. They're like, yeah, okay. It didn't bother them at all. I had this whole story, this whole scenario, this, this whole make believe world in my head. And none of it was true. It's like the anxiety of doing something is so much more burdensome than the act of doing I'm really good at saying no now in my life, but it's still so stressful, especially like people are very pushy. <laughs> yeah, they are. You know, one of my answers is you can text it, right? You know, the thing is, if you give a story with why you're saying no, if someone really wants to get your help or manipulate you, they can twist your own words, right? So it can be, no, I'm so sorry, I'm tired. Or, you know, you're like, oh, it's the weekend. How could I not help my friend? Well, who says your weekend has to go to other people? What if your self-care for that weekend is an hour of doing nothing? What if that's what you need? Maybe you're exhausted. I don't care if we've all been home and in COVID. There are days where I am just exhausted. And that you have to know it and honor it and protect it. Yeah, I do have kind of a reputation for being a little bit bitchy because I say no very firm. I give no explanations and I'm just like, no. And they're like, but why? Because I said no. That's it. Yeah. Sorry. Like, but I think that's the other thing I really help with people with is like, so I love that you know how to say no. And I can tell by your energy that it's super like, why are you struggling? Why do other people struggle? It's just no. Right. But that is a skill set. That means that you know your worth. It's amazing. I love it. 
Another thing that I see women do a lot is when somebody compliments them, they don't accept the compliment. Like if you go, oh, you have really nice hair. They're like, oh, yeah, but I haven't done it in weeks and it's really smelly and greasy and I really need to go to the salon. They never just say thank you. Yeah, because so many women don't know how to receive. They're so busy giving. They've been trained to give that their value is what they do, not who they are. Right. That's huge. Think about that one. Right. It's like you I know compliments were impossible for me because I would look in the mirror and I could tell you the 500 things that I don't like instead of ever just focusing maybe on the one thing that I do. And then just to be seen can be hard. Right. To be seen and valued. And that is also something that we can relearn and just to take it in and say thank you, even if you blush, even if it's uncomfortable. But don't belittle yourself. Yes, that's something I go over with my friends. I'm like, you look beautiful today. And they're like, well, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, say thank you. Say thank you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think it's the easiest gift to give. Like, you know, a lot of people have a hard time right now. You know, like our careers have been devastated, work, everyone's home, blah, blah, blah. But there's a gift you can give someone every single time, any time in your life. And it is a compliment, right? You can always see someone you care about, friend, person, lover, it doesn't matter who, you can give the compliment and you watch how it changes their being. So how can love and romantic relationships either limit us or help us grow? And what should we be mindful of in our relationships? Okay, you might have to break that one down and think. So love relationships for me... They're fascinating, right? I think there's so many different kinds of people and how they deal with romantic love. Um, people like to get lost in it. There's the people who, like the lost romantics that are that a long relationship always has to have like this romance and whatnot. And I think that's really difficult to maintain. I think new love, fresh love is awesome. I think if you are a younger person um, that experiencing love is amazing but you don't have to be tied down right away like for me I want I don't want my daughter to get married before she's 30 even Saturn return will come I know that when you're 28 and so many people want to but the thing is for me in your like 20s you're discovering who you are what kind of career you want who do you want to be are you the version of your family like we said before or something else are you mimicking the love and the relationships that you saw, even if you didn't like them? And have you learned the language to ask for what you want? So a huge thing is a lot of women don't like asking for what they want. And I'm not even just talking love language of like, you know, acts of service, affection, whatever those things are. But I mean, like, hey, you know, for my birthday, I would really love a drum. Um, And they're afraid if I tell the person that I like what I want, it diminishes receiving it. But the truth is that person wants to meet you and give you something that you want. So it might not be a surprise, but it'll be what you want is like a maturity to that. And maybe after someone knows you for a while, they'll kind of know the gifts you like and then do that. And it's the same in a relationship. I need, I need love and affection today. Maybe you had a hard day and you need a hug and you're silently seething on the sofa 
and your partner is like, what? if you're seething, I'm going to stay away from you because obviously you're pissed off at something I did. And all you're doing is creating miscommunication. Whereas if you're like, I need love and affection, give me a hug or whatever you need. And then that person gives it to you. Then you're two people connecting. And I think that's amazing. I think a lot of people mimic relationships that their parents had, even if their parents got divorced really young. And they have to unwind that to discover what it is that they want. Like my mother is um, much more romantic than I am. And she's very, um, she's the person who will seethe on the sofa, right? More passive aggressive when she's upset. And I'm like direct because I want to know the truth. Because when you know the truth, you can make a choice. And when you don't know the truth, if you make a choice, you're not operating on all the information. And I think that causes more chaos in relationships. So one thing I do in my relationship is I will email my husband exactly what I want for every holiday. And okay, I want you to write me a love letter. You need to mention these topics and avoid these topics. <laughs> okay, that might be a little uh, that might be a little controlling, but like somewhere in the middle, right? Like I'll tell my husband, he's like like I don't really do Valentine's Day, but I, you know, I'm like um yeah, I would love a love letter. He's like and then he writes me the sweetest things because he and I get busy being busy, right? Sometimes, right? Work, balance, kids, whatever. And so I was just like I just I need to like come back to us. I know a couple, they go out every week. They do a date night every week and they have like three kids. I don't know how they do it. I'm so impressed by it, but that's her requirement. Mm. I need to not always just be a mother, but, but she doesn't plan every moment of it. So you can give a little space that way, but I love that. You know what, you know, you're particular. So, you know, he knows that about you anyway. Yes. And I don't like when, cause especially growing up, I would see not my mom. She was very direct, but my friends, they would want like what they saw in the movies, um, like the romantic this or the that. And mm -hmm. you're expecting someone to know exactly what you want and do it in a, like exactly like the movie told you that it was supposed to be. And nobody's like that in real life. I mean, a few people might be, but it's not something that's very natural to everybody to to to, to like read your mind. <laughs> And I think, you know, it's all okay to have romance, right? What's the thing that I think every girl wants? The, the kiss when the guy's holding your face, right? You see that in every movie. It's like the trope of tropes. Or like when he brushes your hair aside. In reality, if he brushes your hair aside, he's probably going to pull on an eyelash because your hair is probably stuck on an eyelash. And it's not going to be romantic anyway, right? Or how about the car kiss, right? If you're in the car and like... But doesn't everything kind of get in the way? Like there's moments where it can happen, but you can't have that expectation. Having an expectation that's silent is setting the person, the person that you have it with for failure. They can't know what's inside your brain, even if you're psychic. They really just can't because I don't read my husband because that's just like an invasion of privacy most of the time. Right. You know, at some point. I, I stopped being a healer and I'm just a person. So um, I think expect it's just yeah expectations and what you think is the way it's supposed to be what happens if the person's super romantic and you just start finding them really needy and then you're like oh my god I feel awful like they're doing all those things and I'm not enjoying it it's because it's not what you want speak up 
speak up. Yes, I've, I've seen that happen too. Because a, a lot of um, guys, they'll be like, okay, well, I have to do all these things in the movie. So then they do all those things, but it becomes too much. And then you get like suffocated very quickly. And then you're like, uh, back off. This is like a little bit too much and too fast. And then they're just like, well, then what? You just want an asshole. And it's like, no, 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 no. You want someone who's very balanced. I, you know, again, it really does depend on some people do want it always over the top. You know, they want a, a giver. I have this, I have a quote right now. It's like, you know, you want just because someone is emotionally articulate doesn't mean that they can act on their feelings. Right. So you have to discern between words and actions. Are they aligned? Right. And then are, are those words and actions the kinds that you want in your life? Right. Like I need someone who's direct, supportive, um, is OK with me not wanting to sit next to them and watch TV. Do you know, like, you know, I'm a pretty independent person. Um, and when I come, when I want to be with someone, I really want to be there and be present, but I don't have to be present all the time, right? I'm, it's like, I'm not the friend who's going to text you every day either. It's just not who I am, right? So you have to decide, uh, there's moments when we're together and connecting, is it authentic? Does it feel good? And all, that's what you have to discern, not this romanticized notion. And by the way, I worked in film and TV for like 18 years. It took 20 takes to get that shot. So they did it 20 times. So just so keep that in mind. That's not real. Exactly. How can love and like say romantic relationships actually help us grow? And should we be mindful of, of things to look out for that might be limiting us from growth? Yeah, that's really good. So I think growth comes with experience. So I have seen people who were like high school sweethearts in love and are in a great relationship because they both grew in the same direction at a similar pace. I've also seen people who met really young, so I'll say college and younger, or even in their early 20s, and like who they are when they met the person is not who they are five, 10 years down the line. And sometimes the relationship can't grow because they're not, they don't have the same goals anymore and their wants and needs have changed. So I know divorce is a social failure, but really you knowing what is working for you is amazing. Um, same things with like, sometimes um, I'm going to say women in general in a relationship will make themselves smaller to help boost the other person in their life, their ego or whatever. And there might come a time in a romantic love where they're like, I don't want to be smaller. And the man is used to it. And that causes a bit of strife. And I know this doesn't sound like how does it make relationships work, but navigating those shifts in life is how a long-term relationship works. I have a saying that for long-term romantic love to sustain the test of time, you have to be facing the same direction. You're either look both looking forward with the same goals or you're looking at each other with love and intention. But if one's looking forward at what's coming and the other one's needing something from the other one, that's where the struggle comes from. And that's where open, honest communication really come into play. And I think long-term relationships, you really have to make time for each other and let 
each other know the expectations of that time, right? Vacations are great. Going away are great. Sometimes people connect and when they come home, they disconnect. I think it's really okay to tell the person, hey, I need your attention. I need you to stop treating me like an employee. I need I need us to work together to like make this relationship be better. Or I don't know why I'm unhappy right now, but I'm unhappy. Having those difficult conversations is what makes it go and it makes you grow as a person. I also tell people like you don't play with the same toys when you're four as when you're 14, right? So there has to be change in some part of your life for relationships to grow. The relationship can't be everything. You might have your own goals, thoughts, and dreams, and your partner should help support and cheer you on for those. So no one is perfect. And at some point, either from stress or fear (laughs) or anxiety, we can become the toxic person with the negative energy. So how mm-hmm. can we become more mindful of this so that we and what can we do to help ourselves come down and become more positive? So I think when a person becomes toxic in a relationship, they're unhappy with something going on with them and they might project it onto their partner. Right. So they can be I'm not succeeding at work. I'm not as rich as I thought I should be. I hurt myself. I have an illness. There's so many things that can cause that. Um, and the person who the one who's not feeling toxic needs to also, again, be honest, like, what is going on with you? This behavior is not acceptable for me. But what do we what do we need to do? How can I support you to heal it? Because you cannot heal something for another person. I think there's a bajillion ways to blow off steam. Number one is always doing that self-care routine, that thing that feeds your soul. Um, I posted a video because I was super ridiculously, fantastically frustrated last week. I had really rough few days and I was just pent up with rage and it's so easy to just let that burst onto someone that you love right because they're there we're locked up in our houses for the most part but one of my biggest stress reliefs is I get the biggest euro pillow in my house and I beat the bed with it and I just literally scream you just gotta let it out you you just really have to let out that pent up energy sometimes Physical exercise can help or running until you sweat or whatever. But I think you have to find what the healthy release is. And maybe that's just some work on yourself. How do you use meditation to help your clients? Mm. Yeah, meditation is super interesting because um, when I started, I was really bad at it. So I always say meditation does not mean that you're sitting, you know, double lotus, palms up saying, oh, right. It doesn't mean that you're such a superior person that, you know, stuff doesn't happen to them during the day. It just means that you're taking a few moments to quiet and check in with yourself to see what is going on. So I say meditation can also be a quiet walk in nature. I think meditation can be for some people hitting a golf ball because you're mindful, you're in the moment, and you're controlling your breath. I think you really need to find what works for you. Um, I like to listen to binaural sounds. When I started, I really needed to listen to someone guide me somewhere, and now I can just kind of tap into it. So when I meditate, um, 
at first I had a monkey brain, right? You know, I was like all over, what do I do? Why am I sitting here? This is so uncomfortable. Why is my tongue so fat in my mouth? Like, you know, you think a thousand things. Um, but now I literally ground and I do that thing that I said before pretty similarly, just so my mind knows it's a moment to get quiet. And then I just try to tap into peacefulness or higher energy or whatever works for someone. Maybe people can focus on a color or a flower and start, or you can just start with 30 seconds. I think the whole idea of being able to do it for a long period of time when you've never done it is ridiculous and it's okay to be a beginner. Tell us all about your book, Real Not Perfect, How to Become Your Happy Authentic Self. I'm so excited about this. I got my author proof um, the other day and I, I was started to cry because it represents years of work. Um, and a couple years ago, I was out on a walk and I was like, well, how do I help more? Like, how can I help? What else can I do? And then I was like, what if I write about it? Right. Um, so in the book, it's so similar to our conversation. It's a step-by-step guide on how to define yourself in your own terms, how to let go of what's not working for you, any definitions of yourself, patterns that you do in it. I have Holly's healing tips, which are quick tidbits just to kind of help you motivate. I have, um, Holly's healing homework because I think you can't really learn or heal unless you do a little work after you read the pages. And then I have a guided meditation that accompanies each one designed to help you kind of master and tune in to that healing vibration of the book. What are some ways that people can work with you? Sure. I am, um, if you go to hollyhughesintuitive.com, you can schedule sessions super easy. Um, there's a calendar there. You hit schedule session and you book. I do phone, Zoom, and in person. I'm on Instagram all the time. I'm starting on my YouTube a little bit. But um, any which way, if you can't afford a session, I love to do a free session. I give away each at the beginning of each month. And I'm going to be starting that again in March when this airs. So check me out on Instagram at there as well. So awesome. Thank you so much for being with us here today, Holly. Is there anything you'd like to leave everyone with? Happiness is an option. It's okay if you're not doing it all at once. You don't have to. There's no rule that says that that you have to. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the episode. If you made it this far, I'm sure you found some benefit to the hard work that I put into the show. Show your support by subscribing to the podcast. Leave me a voicemail question or email me at thehealthfulgypsy at gmail.com. I would love, love, love to hear from you. Be sure to join the Facebook group. You can find all that information in the show notes and my website, katkatibi.com. This podcast is for informational merrymakings and metaphysical purposes only. Statements and views are not medical advice. This podcast, including Kakatibi, disclaim any adverse effects by the use of information you may have heard. Opinions of guests are totally their own. This podcast does not endorse statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications, credibilities, or sanity. Individuals may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to on the podcast. If you think you have a medical 
problem, consult with a licensed medical physician, not just the spirit of your ancestors while on ayahuasca.